I feel so honored and humbled to be preaching and handling the very word of God to us this week as I was preparing. Um, I was just reminded that this is literally God's word to us. And uh, I'm so humbled and honored to be preaching it this morning. Believe it or not, today, it feels really weird to say, we're officially moving on from our journey in the book of Acts. But it's been so encouraging over the past, like over a year, I think, to just see how King Jesus, even after he ascended, continued to work through uh, his followers. And to be comforted by the reality and exhorted maybe by the reality that he is still working in and through every single one of us. As we keep that reality in mind, this morning we're going to be digging into Romans 12, so you can turn there if you want to. But we're going to be kicking off a new series called Together. Now, honestly, I don't think there's a better picture of being together that I can display than seeing one of our mission partners to one foreign nation stand and pray and intercede for another mission partner and a different foreign nation um, after worshiping King Jesus together. Such a beautiful Image. And honestly, I feel like I, I don't even really need to preach for us to see what this really looks like. Anyways, the goal of the series is uh, for us to see the vital role that community and relationships play in us being conformed to the image of Christ. And to see how the gospel mission is advanced through gospel community. So with that being said, today we're going to be diving headfirst into the practical reality of what it looks like to be conformed to the image of Christ and how Jesus completely changes the way that we view and pursue redemptive relationships with fellow believers. Now, before we dive into Romans 12, I just want to briefly answer the question that some might have of where where are you getting the phrase conformed to the image of Christ from? And in answering that, I would direct you a few chapters back to Romans 8. In verse 28, which most people probably know, the scripture says, For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So the premise of this verse is that all things work for the good of God's people. But this should immediately, immediately make us ask the question of what is the good that God is working Because what culture has shaped us to believe is good or to think is good may not be the good Paul is referring to here. We'll get the answer to this in verse 29. He continues and says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the good that Paul is talking about, that God is working in our lives, is our conformity to the image of Jesus. Meaning that God's purpose for all believers, generally speaking, is that we would daily be transformed to look more and more and more like Christ. And what we see in Romans 12 is that being conformed to the image of Christ is not an individualistic process. In fact, Scripture would tell us the way God has ordained us to be conformed to the image of Christ is through other followers of Christ. We must surround ourselves with others that will encourage and exhort us to fix our focus on Jesus. Think about it like a sculpture, right? At the most foundational level, what has to happen for a sculpture to be created? Foundationally, the the most simple answer is a sculptor must build it. But what does a sculptor use to build his sculpture? I'm no expert, but if SpongeBob has taught me anything, he uses tools, right? 
And what we're going to see in Romans 12 is that as God seeks to sculpt us into the image of his son, he is going to use others, other people as tools to do the shaping. Meaning it is vitally important for us to dig deep in this pursuit together. Hence the title of the series. Anyways, with that being said, uh, we're going to dig into Romans 12. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, so let's stand together and uh, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter and we'll read through verse 18. Here's what uh, here's what the Lord says to us. Verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. King Jesus, we need you this morning. We cannot properly see what you want us to see in this text. I cannot adequately speak the truth of your word or we need you to pierce hearts. We need you to conform us, transform us to the image of Christ. And we need you to draw us together as one body so that the world would see Jesus in us. Be with us now. Spirit lead us in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm sure everyone here has heard the phrase begin with the end in mind. And if not, I'm sure you can figure out what it means. But essentially, oftentimes it's wise to when you begin something, you want to think about the end goal and take actions based on how you want to achieve that goal. This is exactly what we see Paul do in Romans 12. He begins with the end in mind. Knowing this, we can ask ourselves the question. Of what is the end game in Paul's mind? What goal are we pushing for practically? And we can see two answers to this in the first two verses of Romans 12. Number one, 
Our bodies are meant to be living sacrifices. Our bodies are meant to be living sacrifices. Paul comes out of the gate, guns blazing. I don't know if we really recognize the depth of what Paul is really saying here. Think about it though. He's saying, present your bodies, i.e. you, not just your physical appearance, but everything about you, your time, your devotion, your family, your priorities, your goals, and everything else that makes you who you are. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. The Greek word here for sacrifice quite literally means victim. As in everything about you is completely at the mercy of Jesus. And our goal is to be so surrendered to Jesus that nothing else around us in our lives matters at all. This really brings to light the sobering reality that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do we really believe this? Because here's the reality. We will never present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus if we do not see him as everything. My mind immediately thinks about Peter. We all know the story of Peter's denial of Jesus when he was about to be crucified. But there's a beautiful redemption that occurs when Jesus and Peter have an encounter once Jesus rises. We won't turn there and read, but in John 21, 15 through 17, we can see this encounter play out. Peter has denied Jesus three times. And up until this point, Peter has just gone back to fishing. If I had to guess, I would say that Peter's failure was eating him alive. But what does Jesus say to Peter in this encounter? He tells Peter to feed his sheep. But before that, Jesus asks him a question. Three times, Jesus says, do you love me? And from this point on, we see Peter living a radical life for his king as the rock that Jesus chose to build his church on. And I think it's fairly safe to say that Peter presented his body as a living sacrifice to King Jesus. But that is not where it began. Jesus didn't ask Peter, will you surrender to me? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? This is where it all starts. I'm confident that my parents would do anything for me. Anything. Why? Not because I think they're just super radically generous and they they feel honored to do something for someone as awesome as me. It's much more simple than that. I'm confident they would do anything for me simply because I know they deeply love me. And church, we will not present ourselves as living sacrifices to Jesus if we are not deeply in love with him. And if you're struggling to see whether or not it's worth it to surrender everything to Jesus, I would encourage you to look no further than the person of Jesus himself. Our gracious, merciful, loving Just, selfless, upright, holy, righteous king. The one who left his throne of glory to take on human flesh. The one who lived a perfect life but endured the wrath of God as if he didn't. The one who was swallowed by the grave but rose victorious on our behalf. There's no comparison to be had. Jesus is of supreme worth and we get to love him. So we can faithfully present ourselves as a living sacrifice because of our love and our devotion to our good, good king. And the second goal we see in these verses is that transformation happens as our minds are renewed. Now, in and of itself, this goal seems incomplete. 
Because really it is. And when it comes to transformation, it's pretty important to know where you're starting and where you're going to end. Right before Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, he says, do not be conformed to this world. So really, there are two parts to this goal. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed into what? Well, what is the opposite of the world? Simply put, the answer is Jesus. So Paul is telling us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And how does he tell us to do this by? The renewal of our mind. This seems very abstract at first glance, but it really isn't. The reality is because of sin, we think our minds are backwards. Everything about our minds, though it might seem normal, is the complete opposite of what God intended because of sin. And practically speaking, as we present ourselves as living sacrifices, this begins with the renewal of our minds. The transformation from thinking and living like the world to having the mind of and living like Christ. However, this isn't just a passive transformation, even though he's the one doing it. It's a transformation we play an active role in. So how do we seek to be transformed by the renewal of our minds? I think Peter gives us a great starting point. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So, in light of what Peter says, this is how we practically seek the renewal of our minds. Look to Jesus. Worship the person of Jesus. Think constantly about the work of Jesus. Read the word that is all about Jesus. Remember in your own life the salvation of Jesus. And anticipate with hope the return of Jesus. This is how God is working to renew our minds. And in that renewal of our minds, as we think and worship Jesus, we will be transformed into the image of Jesus, which is our goal. Now, you might be thinking, Tucker, you're like 15, maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes in, I've, I've gone over. What in the world does this possibly have to do with being together? And my response would be, I'm really glad you asked. Once Paul lays out these goals, he begins to give some really practical exhortations to the church at Rome. And the more we dive into these next 15 verses, we're going to do it quickly, I promise. The more we see the reality that we are called to run this race together. The two biggest exhortations we see from Paul in light of the end goal to be transformed into the image of Christ are to live as one and to love everyone. First, we see the exhortation to live as one. Let's just, for uh, remembrance, reread verses 3 through 8 with this idea of living as one in mind. Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, 
The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In these verses, Paul gives some practical explanation of why and how we're to live as one. The why can be found in verses 4 through 5. In verses 4 through 5, Paul brings up the imagery that we often see in Scripture of the body of Christ. The reality is, each of us are individually parts of the body of Christ, working together to grow up, as some places would say, or to be transformed into the head that is Jesus. Do you see how it's all coming together? We are meant to be transformed together because we are all a part of one body. Let me ask you something. What would happen if every part of your body grew really well as it was supposed to, but your legs never properly developed? Say you still had the legs of like a toddler. The short answer is that your body wouldn't properly function. You probably wouldn't be able to walk without like really extreme assistance, if if at all, ever. And practically speaking, when one part of the body isn't growing with the rest of the body as it should, the whole body is going to suffer. The same is true with our spiritual body, because we're meant to grow together. This is what Paul means when he says in this text, we are individually members of one another. You affect me and I affect you. So with this in mind, practically, what should we do? In the most elementary sense, we should be doing life together. If you're walking in isolation, the rest of the body will never know when you begin to struggle or aren't growing properly. We are meant to be together, not just in the sense of a Sunday morning worship or a midweek refuel, though they're great. But we should make it a point to have real friendships with others in the body. Join a life group and begin doing life on a consistent basis with other like-minded people. This can be played out in a million different ways. But the premise is we should be living and doing life together daily. The thought that living in isolation is good and okay is a lie. Do not buy into it. Pursue life with others in the body of Christ. Because us being together matters. There's also another reality that comes with us each being a part of the body of Christ. So from the outside looking in, when the world sees us, first they see us as individuals. They see us as Tucker or Justin and Leslie and Rebecca or whoever it might be, because that's just how eyes work. right? They see you as an individual. But let me ask you another question. And Lorenda, you can help me out here. Say I were to show you a picture of a hand, right? That's obviously a hand. Right. It's very blurry, but it's a hand. So what if I show you this picture? What is that? It's feet. Right. So I show you feet. And then what if I showed you a leg? An arm? What is that? A chest. Right. So we see all these individual body parts and we can look at them and see, hey, that is that. Right. This is that body part. That's individually what it is. But when we zoom out and see the whole picture, we see we were looking at Bradley Cooper, right? (laughs) So we see these individual body parts, but when we see them all working together as one, we see, my goodness, that's Bradley Cooper. Um, I know that's really silly, uh, but this is how the world should see us. (laughs) They should see me working in my gifting and you working in your gifting, like Paul says here. But when they see the whole picture, 
What they should see is Christ. That's what Jesus meant when he said the world will know me by your love for one another. And this is only going to happen if we are together. So. Hopefully knowing why we're called to live as one will stir us to seek how we are to live as one. As Paul gives clear direction on this verse on the, on this in verses six through nine. And to make it simple, Paul is telling us two very practical things here. One rest in grace, rest in grace. And number two, use your gifts. First, Paul leaves no room for boasting. He makes sure we know that the gifts that we have are strictly from God's grace and God's grace alone. So we can rest in grace knowing that what I have and what I can accomplish isn't dependent on my individual ability, but rather that God has given me gifts and strength by his grace to accomplish that which he wills. This is great news. Second, in light of the grace he's given to us, he exhorts us to use your gifts. God has given us gifts so that we would use them for his glory, for the edification of fellow believers and for the salvation of the lost. So use your gifts. Do you all know anyone who is really, really muscular from the waist up? Um, I mean, like if you look at them. The pictures they post, you're like that. They are jacked like they are absolutely huge. But if they show up somewhere in shorts, it can get kind of laughable, right? According to Gary, I'm the guy who needs to stop skipping leg day so much. Um, And listen, I know uh, I wear skinny jeans. Maybe I should start wearing looser jeans. But if you agree with him, please don't let me know. Um, But regardless of if you do or not, everyone knows somebody who just can't stop skipping leg day. And it's not that this person's legs most of the time don't function properly. It's that they aren't putting them to use with the rest of their body. And spiritually, if one part of the body isn't using their gifts and playing their part, it will be seen. And the overall growth of the church will be hindered. You know what's crazy? The more I think about it and the more I thought about this week, the more I see this reality playing out at NBC in a really good way. There's no doubt that we've seen a lot of growth from the Lord over the past year. But why? It's not because Justin is some rock star preacher who just can't get nothing wrong, Um, (laughs) even though he is, and uh, just so happens to sign my paychecks. Um, Really, though, really, 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 Justin and the rest of our elders are not Jesus. The growth of our church doesn't depend on them solely. It depends on all of us collectively. And as we've seen people step up and use their gifts as we're called, we've seen God build his church. And if you feel gifted as an individual in specific ways, feel no hesitation in letting our elders know. And I can guarantee you that we want nothing more than for everyone to be working in the ways they've been gifted. Because for us to live as one, is for us to rest in God's grace and use God's gifts for the glory of God's name. The second exhortation we see from Paul is to love everyone. Love everyone. Listen to what Paul says and see if you can hear a common theme in verses 9 through 18. 
He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Over and over in these verses, we have encouragement from Paul to show impartial, unprejudiced love. And the truth is simple. We are to genuinely love everyone. Everyone. This is a massive call. You might say, wait a minute. What if someone doesn't love me? It doesn't matter. Love them. No, Tucker, you don't understand. Like, what if they hate me? Like, they despise me. It doesn't matter. Love them. Tucker, seriously, they've done things to me that are like unspeakably bad, like unspeakably bad things to me. Anyone would feel the way that I do about them. It does not matter. Love them. Paul was not joking when he said, bless those who persecute you and repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And he was not joking when he said, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There's no exceptions. We're called to love all genuinely. Abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. Outdoing others and showing brotherly affection and honor. Being empathetic. Rejoicing when others are rejoicing and weeping when others weep. Living in harmony with others. These are all ways that Paul tells us to love. And in regards uh, to us living this love out, we need one another by way of encouragement and accountability. For example, if I feel attacked or just really am struggling to genuinely and authentically love someone, I must be challenged. I must be pushed and held accountable. But the problem is, if I'm not walking in community with others, who is going to step into that role and challenge me? The reality is the more we surround ourselves with the body of Christ, the more they know our junk, the more we trust them and the more freedom they will feel to make sure we are pursuing Jesus and loving others well. Have you personally, have you as an individual personally experienced this in relationships or do you find it difficult to receive this kind of coaching because it's uncomfortable? Well, it's uncomfortable. It it always will be. But regardless of how it makes us feel, it is essential for our growth and our transformation into the image of Christ. And we must press into this. But you also may look at this list that Paul gives and be blown away with how much is there. And you may think about that person in your head that you so badly want to hate because of who they are and because of what they've done. And at that point, I would tell you first, I promise you, you're not alone in that battle. 
promise others are struggling to. But more importantly, I would encourage you to think about Jesus. Because here's the reality. Nothing that anyone on earth has done against you can even come close to comparing to what we've done against Jesus. Nothing. We have sinned so, so deeply against the only one who is so, so good. And you know what's crazy? Even in that, Jesus fulfilled Paul's call to love for us perfectly. In fact, this text could probably be placed somewhere else uh, in Scripture and be used as just a character trait list for who Jesus is and what he's done. Listen, Jesus shows the ultimate genuine love. Jesus always abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Jesus always loves with brotherly affection and honor. Jesus is never slothful in passion, is always fervent and always serves the Lord perfectly. Jesus rejoices in hope. Jesus is patient and was constant in prayer. Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. Literally, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do as they are killing him. Jesus rejoiced when others rejoiced. Jesus wept when others wept. Jesus lived in harmony with others. Jesus associated with the lowly. And Jesus never repaid evil for evil, but always did what was honorable. And as far as it depended on him, he lived peaceably with all. And the beautiful truth here is that first, first, Jesus fulfills this call of love to us. Jesus fulfills this call of love to us, meaning that he loved us perfectly in this way. He's, in this list, we can see how Jesus has shown love to us perfectly. Second, Jesus fulfills this call of love for us. This is important. What that means is that while we will never love perfectly, In our justification, when God looks at us, he no longer sees our imperfections and our lack of love, but the perfect love of Jesus covers us, meaning that he looks at us and sees the same love that Jesus gave as our own. Which is great news. And lastly, Jesus fulfills this call of love in us. Meaning we, in our flesh, will always fail. I'm never going to love my wife perfectly, ever. But Jesus has given us the power of his spirit to be the strength to cause us to love others with the same love that he's shown to us. So, because of Jesus, we can love everyone around us, within the church and outside of the church, and see ourselves running this race Together. However, that is much easier said than done, isn't it? In fact, Paul gives some subtle warnings in this text about the chief enemy in our pursuit of being together. Pride. Now, before I go any further, I feel the need to be really transparent. I can guarantee you this is more for me than anyone else in this room. If I had to pick one sin that was my biggest issue, my biggest struggle, it would be pride. Seeing myself more highly than I ought to, 
seeing myself as wise in my own sight, according to this text, being overly concerned with how I look and what people think. And all in all, I'm just a a very prideful and arrogant person. It's not something I'm proud of. And it's something I have to fight every single day. The reality is, though, all of us struggle with pride in some form, whether self-consciousness or arrogance. It is in everyone. And when we're talking about being all in together and hopefully getting excited about what it looks like to live as one body, there will be a little voice in your head pushing against the unity. And that voice is pride. In fact, the first thing Paul says in verse three is in regards to pride. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And all throughout the rest of this text, we see warning after warning after warning against pride. So what I want to do now is combat a couple of lies of pride you might hear with the gospel truth that shuts it down. I'll try to read slowly. Pride says you don't need anyone. You can do this on your own. But the gospel says you are just one part and you need others to sharpen you and push you to grow by grace. Pride says don't let them take you out of the spotlight. You deserve it. But the gospel says it is not about you. It's all about King Jesus. Pride says, don't tell them your shortcomings and sins. You will be judged and ridiculed. But the gospel says, if you'll confess your sins, there will be healing. Pride says, you're better than them. They aren't worth your time. But the gospel says you are made worthy by Christ and Christ alone. Pride says you shouldn't love them. Look what they did to you. But the gospel says Jesus has loved you, his enemy, so deeply that he's made you his friend. Give that same love to others. Pride is constantly pushing us to be absorbed with ourselves while the gospel is pushing us to love God and love others. Pride makes you think you should run this race alone. But the gospel says it's God's grace that he's given others to run alongside you. So let's flee from pride and look to no one other than Jesus to humble us and sustain us as we pursue him. And as we pursue unity. Church, there is a war being waged as we speak. Whether we know it or not, you and I are both at war. And in this war, God is seeking to transform us into the image of Jesus. How foolish it would be to run into battle all along. When there's an army of people here to fight with you together. So as we go in light of this passage in Romans 12, I want to encourage you in just a couple of really practical ways. First, surrender completely to Jesus. 
If you don't know Jesus, give him your life. But if you do know Jesus, like surrender everything to him, everything that you're clinging to, give it to him. Everything about you, give it to him because he's worth it. Number two, be transformed into the image of Jesus. Allow God to work in you by grace in such a way where you're resting in him, trusting him and letting him sanctify you to look more like Christ. Number three, live life with the people of Jesus. We are all one body in Christ and we were literally made for each other. I apologize in advance because I'm going to shamelessly plug life groups in about two seconds. Practically speaking, they're a great avenue to live this life together. Right here. So if you or your family aren't already involved in one or aren't connected in some way, prepare to join one. Or if you're trying to figure out how best to connect, you, you still aren't, aren't super sure, try out a life group. I promise it will not be a waste of time and I promise you will not be disappointed. But however you go about doing it, we cannot avoid the truth that we must live life with the people of Jesus. And each of these three applications for our lives work in tandem with one another. As we give ourselves to Christ and are by grace transformed into his image, we will passionately pursue life with his people. It's not optional. We will. And if we do these things, what we'll see is God's glory, our spiritual growth, and the gospel will be spread to all nations as God graciously uses MVC to advance his kingdom here on earth. So church, let's run this race for God's glory together. Make sense? Let's pray.